that one it had to be canceled out there for a while. So <clears throat> you're due to have me up here sometime leading the singing, but uh, don't hold your breath. But it's good to see each one out tonight. It's a beautiful time that we have to gather together. It's good to see a number of people that we have not seen for a while who have not been able to get out. Joyce Harris, for one, it's a delight to see her here and have her with us, as well as some others along the way. Uh, one of the beauties of the Word of God is how it touches our lives and encourages us in so many dis- dis- different ways, and also how it challenges us in a lot of different ways as well. I want to look this evening over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 1 down through verse 8 for the reading. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and following. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor, all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, which come, which come about envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From, from such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. We're looking for a doctrine or a teaching or a manner of life which is according to godliness, a life that God would choose us to live and to follow within our lives. The world may have its definition and usually does of what godliness is and how it needs to be lived. We live in a world, again, that oftentimes show the hypocrisy of those who claim to be religious, and then as time has unfolded, have been found to be living a double life. Been living an ungodly life, even under the disguise of being a godly person. And Paul, as he's writing, is reminding us, there are those who believe that godliness can be a means of gain. I've known of, in, I've known of companies who have told their employees, we want you to go to church. We want you to be known as churchgoers. We do not care where you go. We do not care if you believe where you're going. We just want you to go and let it be known that you are attending such and such a congregation. 
It's good for business. Godliness. It's good for business. If they think we have church-going people, then they're more likely to do business with us than if they think we're a bunch of scoundrels. Nothing to do with who God is. Nothing to do with what the truth really teaches or what it is that they need to be doing within their life. Drop down to verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things that he's mentioned earlier and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. There are some things to flee and there are things to pursue. And in the originals, those two words are side by side. You're to flee and you are to pursue. If you're leaving something, (laughs) you have to be headed somewhere. So there are some things that you need to know that you are leaving behind. And there are some things that you need to be striving towards within your life if you want to be found pleasing in the eyes of God. The one thing we know as we read our history, as we read the history of the Bible, is that God is not fooled. No one pulls the wool over the eyes of God. No one acts in a way that God is not aware of. God knows the life. He knows the heart. He knows the intention. And again, that's one of those frightening things out of Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge and divide the joints and the marrow, to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that's something that we all get to reflect on. God knows your intentions. I know you're here. I can see you. So I know you're here. But God knows the reason that you're here. I give you the benefit of the doubt. You're here to worship, to praise, and to honor, and to serve God. But I also know that God knows the intentions that are there. They're not hidden hidden from Him. And there's a need for us, again, as any child of God, is to reflect on the life that we live and why we live that type of life. Why are we leaving the things of the world behind? And why are we choosing to want want to follow God? If we're choosing to follow God, we need to know and we, we are to know up front what he's asking of us. You're being crucified. You are being put to death in that watery grave of baptism. And when you rise up out of that watery grave of baptism, you are no longer that person that went down into that water. You are now a new creation. You are now a new creature. You are now a child of the living God. And as a result of that, there is a lifestyle that is expected of you. It is expected that you are, as you come up out of that watery grave of baptism, that you are a babe in Christ. You do not have full knowledge. We do not have that in this life. You do not have full knowledge of God and His will and the way He wants you to live. So you are a babe in Christ. And then you to have that hunger and that thirst for the Word of God that you may grow thereby. So it's a growing process. And again, He has given the human life as that illustration. Again, 
Peter reminds us as newborn babes long for that pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. We're to have a hunger for that word of God and we're to grow. And as we grow, we're going to change not who we believe God is. That we're going to change, not that we're going to change how we view the word of God, but we're going to grow in an understanding or a deeper understanding of, how, of who God is. We're going to have a better understanding, a deeper understanding of what his word really says. And that's an ongoing process. It lasts our lifetime. We will not see the fulfillment of it. We will not understand the, the depths of it until eternity. The problem with that is that we need to be doing then what Paul says we need to be doing. We need to be pursuing godliness. We need to have a desire and a hunger for wanting to know what it is that God would have us to do so that we can be the people that he would want us to be. We are to have some things we are to flee. And it's interesting that as you read through the various lists that are given within the pages of God's word, that as we have become the child of God, and the word of God has been given, but as you read all the way through, it's written to those who are children of God. It's there for those who need to learn how to become that child of God, but it's written to children of God. And it's always amazing to me that there are some things that he says we ought to flee from, to leave and have no part with. And you would think as you read some of those lists, you're thinking, you have got to be kidding me. Do you honestly believe that God needs to tell one who's been baptized for the remission of sins that he needs to, to flee from fornication and, and adultery and ungodly sexual immorality? Do we need to be told that we need to flee from drunkenness, carousing, and all the other lists that are given? We would think that we would want to do that automatically. But there is nothing that is automatically. It's like when we talk to our children, when they're small and they're growing up. It's always interesting when we talk to a child and we sometimes tend to forget when you're talking to a five-year-old. That five-year-old has a five-year-old understanding. A five-year-old does not have the understanding of an adult, and I won't say any ages there because I don't want to, you know, get rocks thrown at me. They do not have that understanding that the adult has of that same concept. And so they need to learn and to grow. We're that child of God. Right now we have an understanding of what it should be. And then as we live life, we need to have that reinforced in us. Listen, there are some things in the world that the world says they have no problem with. Remember when the movie ratings first came out? Uh, trying to say, you know, parents, you may not want your child to observe this or to see this because they may not have the maturity for that. Well, that rating system that they had basically is non-existent. They've taken that, you know, a lot of times they put the rating on there just to get more sales along the way. But then as time unfolded, it was a door that opened up that allowed them to do a lot of things. A lot of the movies that are G-rated have adult themes in them. They're cartoons. Have you ever listened to some of those cartoons? Have you listened to the language 
not so much the language, but you've listened to what they're saying and how they're presenting some things. Uh, it, it's a little bit frightening. Uh, things that our kids grew up with, Sesame Street. You've seen the changes that they're making? Unreal. Things that they're now promoting as being acceptable in the lifestyle that we live today. And again, that's part of society. That's part of our, our living along the way. How we live today would have been terribly upsetting for our, our grandparents or our great-grandparents, would it not? They would have come unglued to see some of the things we do today. How could you ever do that? Satan works tremendously, and ours is to be aware of that. We're to flee doctrinal error, things that are contrary to the word of our Lord and to the doctrine according to godliness. You're thinking, what do you mean we have to flee doctrinal error? What's the best way to get you to accept it? What's the best way to have you accept a counterfeit $20 bill? To get it as close as you can to a real or a genuine $20 bill. And they constantly change that. The the bills you see today, you look at them and say, you know, that looks like funny money to me to begin with. $10 bill, you know, change colors and everything else. I mean, you look at it and say, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but the counterfeiters try to make it as close to the original as possible. Why? Because it looks good. If it feels good, it must be good. Tactic to be used. Doctrinal error. Does it harmonize with all of the Word of God. We know there's false teaching out there. We live in a world that's filled with false teaching religiously. We live in a world that in the, what we call in the broad sense of the term, and it's hard to, for me to even use that term in the broad sense of the word, Christianity, because it has no concept of what Christian is, what is Christ-like. But in that broad realm of stuff, you have teachings that you would not believe would be taught or that would be accepted. I've mentioned many times before I have translations of the Bible in my office that I had this to, to because I would not have believed that somebody would put that out as the word of God, but they have. Years ago, it was a lot of controversy over was it to be a genuine translation, or was it just a spoof on the Word of God? Some of you may have heard about the cotton patch version of the Bible. It was written to appeal to those in southern United States. Jerusalem was called Montgomery, Alabama, or Atlanta, Georgia. And so those terms were used throughout that. Changed it, not the Word of God at all. Got one in there that changes the inclusive version. Do not want to use language that would be offensive to those of any persuasion uh, human beings. 
So we won't use the term he, and we will not use the term she, because it might be offensive to somebody. So Jesus is no longer the Son of God. He is a child of God. And when you make the prayer to the Father in Matthew 6, 9 and following, you're praying to the Mother and Father in heaven. That's not the Word of God. We have Bibles in there, and they're out, and we have them in general circulation that have simply dropped out verses of the Bible. They're not in there any longer. They used to be footnoted as why they were not there, but nowadays they just, they just skipped the verse number with no note at all. And so you just go on because, you know, we got the verse numbers, and again, they were at it many years, centuries down the road. And I, I don't remember who made the statement, but I believe whoever wrote the verse numbers, they, they say he was riding on horseback when he did it. Because you've got some short sentences and you've got some long sentences before you get to a period. But regardless, because they've become standardized, when you leave out a verse, you've got, still got the number. So they just, and I'm sure in time, they'll drop that off as well. Just change the number and go on, and nobody will know the difference because all of us of this generation will be gone. That's all that matters to, to them along the way. Flee doctrinal error. What does the Bible say? How does it harmonize? It's always interesting when you, you come to somebody and you are studying with them and trying to get them to see the truth of the Scriptures. They read the scripture, they acknowledge that's what the scripture says, and then they will turn right around and say they believe exactly the opposite of what it teaches. And they see no problem. I've had to have individuals, as I talked with them, read the verse again. And I've had them read as much as eight or nine times that same verse before it hit them. What the verse said as opposed to what they were wanting it to say. And there was a difference. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, doctrinal error is out there. To hear somebody say who believes that the Bible is the Word of God, that one is bound by the Word of God, make a statement that when we get to heaven, it really won't matter, it does not matter what religious persuasion you was. Doesn't matter whether named off a number of different denominations. Doesn't matter whether you're a Hindu or a Buddha or whatever else it is. When we get to heaven, we'll all be one. So all the division down here doesn't matter. Doesn't make any difference. How convenient is that? Paul says, flee doctrinal error. Have nothing to do with those that are teaching that false doctrine along the way. Stay away from disputes and arguments over words. There have been divisions caused over how a word is translated. Rather than sitting down and and trying to work it out. Brethren have separated, divided, antagonized one another. Name called one another over one word and how it's used. Paul says, disputes and arguments about words, leave them out. 
word battles. People get into those and they become obsessed about it. There are religious groups that are known by the use of a particular word in their name to distinguish them from any other particular group along the way. The outcome is envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicion. And those who think that godliness is a means of, uh, of gain. Timothy was told, stay away from them. If they want to argue about words, stay away from them. If you want to discuss what the Bible teaches, we'll sit down and talk. If you want to argue... You know, it, it's, and it's a shame. I've known brethren who have fought together for the faith of Jesus Christ end up splitting, separating, become enemies. Is the word in Acts 2.38 because of or in order to receive remission of sins? Somewhere down the line, Somebody got a wrong impression or the wrong teaching. Michael's going to do a little studying in Greek. I'll just tell him up front, as I tell, mention it from time to time, need to be careful about that little Greek. A little Greek can be a dangerous thing unless he's your tailor. Outside that, you need to be careful. Well, the Greek says this. Well, I can make it say a lot of things if you're not careful. And how the language is used and how the wording is expressed. Uh, well, it always means this, and you need to be careful. But they will wrangle about words. Well, let's look at some other passages. Let's look at some other teaching. Let's look at see what we can find in the totality of God's word what it is that he wants us to do, how he describes it. He who believes, whoever confesses the name of Jesus shall be saved. Is that true? Yes, it's true. That's what the Bible teaches. But what does it mean to confess? Let's sit down and look at that. Confess Jesus. Hmm, interesting. What does his name mean? Savior. From what? From sin. If he's your Savior from sin, if he's your Lord, as Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why would you listen to him if he is Savior of the world, given his life as a ransom for the world, and not want to do what he says? Does it make sense? Is it logical? The Bible explains itself if you, get the, if you let the Bible explain itself. Put it in this context and put it with other verses. What does he say about all of that? How are we to understand it? Because there are those who think godliness is a means of gain. And there's a day of reckoning. Jesus said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there's a line of separation. What is it? Why is it that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven? How are they responding to what they're saying? And what are they going to do? 
If there's a line of division, and there is, between lost and saved, and it's based on more than just simply saying, Lord, Lord, what is it? I need to know. My eternal soul depends on my knowing what that difference is. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is a sobering passage to read. And we need to think very carefully about it. You read the passage. Read the passage. Not everyone says, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done and enumerate miraculous deeds? And he say to them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Wow. The Lord is going to say to those who have said to about him, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. Depart from me. I want to know the difference. I want to know, again, the difference between depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, and enter into the joy of your master. What makes the difference? Paul is telling Timothy, there are some things you need to leave behind, and there are some things you need to pursue. You need to pursue righteousness, doing what's right in the sight of God. Is it right in his sight? What does his word say about it? There are those who have the appearance of righteousness but are not. If I'm to do righteousness, I need to go beyond appearance. I need to know what it, indeed it is that I need to be doing. I need to pursue godliness, be godlike, consistency, purity, holiness. Pursue that along with faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God is not something that is subjective. It is based on God's Word. Am I willing to listen to it? Am I willing to follow it? Pursue love, as defined in 1 Corinthians 13. That type of love does not seek its own, not easily provoked. Some of that, as you read it, does it ever strike home to you? Not easily provoked? You know, an individual who could just fly off the handle? And there are those, I mean, uh, and again, it's not limited to those of the, what we call the rank and the file, and I don't like that term. To, it applies to any child of God who can just fly off the handle in a, at a moment's word. Not easily provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffer. I've known brethren who have, I guess the best, best way I could explain it is they have a log book. Got your name in there. Got down there what you wrote, when you wrote it, what you spoke, when you spoke it, and why it's wrong. Keep a record of you. So when we have an opportunity, I can sit down and just lambast you with it all. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Willing to bear all things. Stay with it. Be faithful to God. Have patience. 
I have patience with me, he used another story. Patience. We're not at the same level of maturity. We do not grow at the same rate of maturity. We do not always maintain the same level of maturity. Sometimes we go up and sometimes we go down. Sometimes we have wisdom beyond our age and other times we simply say, listen, it's time to grow up. It's time to be an adult. It's time to be an adult child of God. It's time to take responsibility and do the things that God would have you to do. And then to do the last one, you need to have pursue after gentleness. To do it in a gentle way, the things that would be pleasing to God. Pursue these things. God will be with you. God will bless you. Your life will be enriched. So will those, the lives of those around you. And then one day, what could be more joyous than one day being in heaven with all of the redeemed to praise and to honor God throughout all eternity? But it's up to us. Decisions we make now have bearings on our life from now on. The decision you make now has a bearing on your life from now on. What decision are you making in the light of the Word of God? If there's a need to make a change in your life, if we could help you, if we could assist you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.